This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shayna Roth. And I'm Jake Neer, and we wanted to wrap up 2021 and head into 2022 with a look back on some of the political stories of the past year. And we thought, hmm, we could just do a straightforward retrospective But I think it would be better if we did something more fun, something more specific. Fortunately, Gong War Michigan State House reporter Jordan Hermony was way ahead of us. She got a look back at the biggest political blunders of 2021 in Gong War. I can't tell you how happy this makes me. I love a good list, and I particularly love a good list that, uh, you know, tickles the old funny bone and (laughs) is a time of year where we can make fun of ourselves or politicians, as is the case here. So she joins us now to talk about it. Hello, Jordan. Hi, Shana. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me on. So, Jordan, uh, really quickly, we'll we'll dig into these a little bit more uh, later, but w- give us the sort of quick rundown of some of your favorite blunders of the year. Okay. So we have about 13 on our overall list, but just a couple of the, the highlights that I had, um, and this spans all over the political spectrum, um, in the legislature, out of the legislature. But just to kind of give you a brief sneak peek, I mean, there was right from the start of the year, uh, the Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky being caught on a hot mic uh, twice, actually, one a hot mic, one a hot video, uh, one point saying that he would uh, love to challenge Governor Gretchen Whitmer to a fist fight on the Capitol lawn, and another time where shortly after the January 6th insurrection uh, was caught on video claiming that that was actually a staged uh, incident by Antifa, Um, even though we know that that is uh, not the case at this point. Um, We have some other stuff later in the year uh, where who can forget with the Unlock Michigan petition initiative, where there was a big investigation regarding that. And it turns out there was a Democratic-led group that accidentally maybe shot the investigation in the foot by uh, engaging in some (laughs) not so great uh, espionage tactics, for lack of a better word. I believe an actual spy pen camera was involved at one point. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, believe me weird, weird things have happened this year. Um, And I mean, not just on on the Republican side, but on the Democratic side, too. There was the whole debacle with Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, using a nonprofit to to fly to Florida to potentially be a father and and all of that that transpired. So um, we have a a lot that we could have picked from. So we narrowed it down to about 13. And uh, yeah, very excited for the final product to come out. A lot of, and I'm not a sports person, but I think I'm going to use this metaphor right, a lot of unforced <laughs> errors uh, happened this past year. Uh, Jordan, what was it that made you come up? How, how did you come up with this idea? So we've been trying to do something like this for a while now. Uh, in 2019, we actually published like a top blunders of the decade, looking backwards and, and going over some stuff like that. We wanted to do it in 2020, but, you know, pandemic. A lot of other things happened that kind of made it slip our radar. So we were really hoping this year uh, to kind of hit the ground running and make this a a reoccurring bond war thing. The first one you mentioned, uh, State Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky caught on that hot mic. Tell us a little bit more. Remind uh, people exactly what happened there and sort of why this was one of the top ones on your list. So uh, before we jump in, which one would you prefer? (laughs) Or the insurrection one? I mean, I got to say, Shirky was like the king of the unforced errors this past year, <laughs> particularly at the beginning of the year. He's the past few months. He seems to have calmed down and like learned to like stop talking to people. But it really seemed like the first six months he could not stop talking to people and saying things that he later. Re- I Maybe he doesn't regret them. I don't know. <laughs> but that people were like, what are you doing, sir? 
I, I did feel that at some points during the year, almost like that comical cartoon with the uh, the the hook where you you know you hook somebody <laughs> around the neck and you pull them off to the side. I feel like maybe it's a little bit what his comms folks wanted to do at some point. But uh, I guess just tackling the the insurrection video mm-hmm. uh, yeah. specifically. So uh, a little bit after January sixth, there was a video that came out early February sometime where he was sitting in a diner um, and basically talking about the fact that he believed that the insurrection was not, I believe the exact quote he used was that wasn't Trump people. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he seemed to allege at one point that he, that he believed that this was Antifa, um, which is, you know, the anti-fascist movement that the right has started using as a sort of stand-in for um, anything wrong with, with the left. Um, it's sort of this just like symbol of if you don't like it, it's Antifa. Um, but so he was he was caught saying, you know, it wasn't Trump people. He called it a hoax. Um, he said it was staged. Uh, it was all very weird. And this was, again, like a couple weeks, if that, after the insurrection. I'm not entirely certain when the video off the top of my head right now was filmed, but I know it was released in, in early February. So obviously very new. We're still learning stuff about the insurrection now. So, I mean, there's there's no way he could have been able to, to make that assertion with the, the confidence that he did. Um, but yeah, and then the, the additional hot mic comment um, at one point was him saying that the Republican-led legislature in 2020 uh, spanked the governor. He used um, some sort of misogynistic language, uh, said that he wanted to, to fist fight her on the Capitol lawn. Um, he, I believe, later did recant that statement but then was again caught on a third hot mic saying that he didn't actually <laughs> want to take back any of that um so that was an interesting time to to put it lightly but i mean if you guys remember there was a big fallout after that where there was questions as to whether he should step down whether he should stay in the majority and and that really kind of fizzled out around march um where you know, nothing, as, as we know, nothing happened. He's still the, the Senate majority leader uh, and, and will be into next year. So, But his longtime communications person, Amber McCann, who mm. served for several Senate majority leaders for quite some time, uh, she quit this past year. What was the timeline? And, and on that? To, I'm not saying that. Let's not forget she went to Dana Nessel's office. Right. Yeah. So so that that was in and of itself an interesting kind of thing that I think a lot of us on the inside were kind of like, oh, was Shirky the one that cracked her? Because she worked for some <laughs> very difficult men and was always an incredible, incredible person to have on your team. Well, I mean, in that same vein, so I was just going through our archives, the story that we published about the insurrection uh, video, I believe we published February 3rd. And we have another story here by February 19th. Uh, she... I'm sorry, February 18th, she resigned. Mm-hmm. So I I do not want to put words in anyone's mouth. I don't want to speculate sure. anything. That was never something that was explicitly stated. But I mean, to your point, it does look fishy, you know? <laughs> I mean, that is the time. I mean, you know, the timeline doesn't lie. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and not to bring this into more serious territory, Jordan, but I think one of the things that I thought was most interesting about the the filmed uh, comments that Shirky was caught with uh, was that he was talking to these grassroots local Republicans. And what I thought was actually most interesting about that video was it was this really deep insight into the state of what's what 
lawmakers are hearing from their local parties, from the base of their party when they go back home. Shirky, I don't think there are too many people that would call him, uh, you know, a lefty or someone who is, you know, cozying up to the governor or Democrats. But the way that they were talking to him was as if he was selling out the Republican Party in Lansing. It was eye-opening for me as someone who doesn't, you know, see these kinds of interactions on a regular basis. That video was so interesting in that it it really added a lot of context as to one of the reasons, I think, that uh, lawmakers act the way they do sometimes. And and when you think about, well, you know, why, you know, why, why aren't they working with the governor more? Why aren't they doing some of these things? Well, Man, uh, they, you know, if you're Mike Shirky and you're going home and you're being called a liberal, essentially, (laughs) like this is a strange, strange political environment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I think it was obviously just before then we had the whole TCF Center thing, the the voting machines, the the Mm -hmm. Giuliani hearing. So, I mean, the idea of of grassroots activism as it relates to its impact on sitting politicians it was something that had we had been, you know, opening our eyes up to more and more and more. Um, but I feel like, to your point exactly, it really was a, a weird moment to see uh, Senator Shirky almost be put in this sort of like hot seat by by some of the own people who, you know, he, he works for uh, his constituents. It, you know, I really don't know a better way to state it than I mean, like you said, these are the people that you have to answer to as a politician. These are the people who are going to reelect you. And so, you know, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you too much. And and I think since then, it's really been interesting to watch Michigan politics um, as it's changed, as it's evolved, for for lack of a better word, over the last couple of months since since February, since the November 2020 election of, of just how much of a grasp, specifically Republican grassroots activists and Republican grassroots voters have on the party. I do not think that that can be understated. And I do not think that the, the pull that they have and the support that they're still getting from the former president through um, not not Twitter, but but the uh, the statements that that people post from him on Twitter, the the pull that he sort of has on the party. I mean, if that's still something that cannot be discounted going into 2022, not at all. So. You said Rudy Giuliani, and now I get like <laughs> flashbacks. I still, again, celebrate 75 years of public radio in Detroit with WDET. As our spring fundraiser commences, let's unite to support what makes Detroit unique 75 years of people powered radio. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap donate in the mobile app. And this is like, I can't believe that was this past year when Giuliani was in Michigan for these hearings about the legitimacy of our election. Spoiler alert, in case you weren't aware, they were legitimate. Uh, But let's move on to another blunder that happened. The botched Unlock Michigan investigation. What happened there? Refresh our memories. What was that insanity? So the very first, I'll forgive anybody who gets confused because there's two unlocks now, uh, one of which has been put to bed, the other is currently active. But but the first iteration of unlock uh, sought to uh, repeal decades old law that would basically give the governor uh, this ability to keep uh, the state in a state of emergency in perpetuity. Um, If you'll recall, that was eventually struck down in the courts before unlock ended up getting certified. So it was 
kind of this like double double whammy thing. Um, but so with Unlock, there was a lot of commotion over the fact that people were saying that Unlock was um, wrongfully misleading individuals who are signing these petitions into saying, you know, oh, if you sign this, uh, it'll support the governor. Or if you, you know, misleading people that like, hey, this is what you're supposed to be signing and, and telling them something that was not at all uh, what was what was on you know, the piece of paper. And, and granted, if you're signing something, you should read it. That's something my parents have always told me since I was a kid. But I mean, when you see something like a petition, that's a, that's a lot on, on a, when you're stopped on the street corner, there's a lot of words on that page. Someone's telling you, Hey, this is a petition to uh, fight line five, or, Hey, this is a petition to repeal gubernatorial powers. Like you're, you know, that's just a lot of information to throw at you. But um, so an investigation was eventually launched into unlock uh, attorney general Dana Nessel was was looking into their signature gathering um, efforts and and the allegations that there was uh, you know wrongful wrongful doing there. There was a Democratic backed group, um, I believe the name of it was Keep Michigan Safe. And, and long story short, they engaged in sort of their own espionage tactics at one point, where they were dead set on trying to prove that Unlock Michigan was wrongfully gathering signatures for petitions, say that five times fast. Uh, and, and what they basically did was at one point there was somebody with a legitimate camera and a pen, like in a pocket and they were recording <laughs> videos of, of these insider, um, these insider meetings. They were recording um, interactions with, with circulators. And what happened there was actually those individuals legitimately signed petitions but with fraudulent names um, and effectively kind of threw out the attorney general's chance of using any of that as legitimate evidence because they were actively breaking the law mm-hmm. while showing someone else breaking the law. Um, so that kind of threw that all out in, in court and that really just shot any chance of seeing uh, what, you know, Democrats hope for uh, was any, any type of slap on the wrist from that. So uh, yeah, that was a pretty tough pill to swallow for some people who after, you know, you have on video um, people saying things that that would potentially prove that this is a, a wrongfully gathered operation. You know, all of a sudden, hey, you can't use it anymore. Not to mention there were also some some uh, wrong statements made by by the uh, Democrats on that uh, on that recording on that pen recording. It was, it was just a mess, frankly. The best way to describe it is a mess. <laughs> I feel fair. like we need to insert some like James Bond mu- music over over that part with the pen. I mean, I just can't. I can't believe there's – is that – people actually put recorders and pens. I can't believe it. Um, anyway. You can find a lot of things on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Good point. Uh, and I think that we should also just really quickly make sure that we're clear here that although there was a lot of skirting the line here with Unlock that – uh, that they were ultimately found to have not done anything outside the law so that, uh, again, although maybe they behaved dubiously, uh, wasn't necessarily illegal. Uh, so just to make that clear uh, on this point, I did want to also uh, dig a little bit more into that situation with uh, Governor Whitmer and her infamous plane trip to Florida. Again, uh, catch us up again on what happened there. This is one where I think that people, the, the Republicans really wanted to make a lot of hay out of this. I'm not sure that it, it, it worked out for them that way. But, but again, remind us what happened. 
So uh, earlier again in the year, April, May, uh, again, time, all of it's playing. <laughs> that's happened this year. So uh, forgive me for not having a precise date down, but uh, there was some hubbub back earlier during the year uh, where the governor took a flight down to Florida uh, using funds through a nonprofit, um, something to the tune of like $27,000 in total, I believe, um, where basically she took a flight down to Florida. Republicans were just outraged over the fact that one, this was occurring during COVID. So they were sort of nailing her to the wall with the whole, oh, other people can't travel for you know, spring break or, or for, you know, the, the nice weather that's happening because of COVID, but you can go down to Florida. So they kind of nailed her to the wall on that one. Um, there was also a real, a real stink made about the fact that she was using a nonprofit uh, to charter, charter this flight. Um, and there was questions as to whether or not that was, that was even allowable. Not to mention there was also at some point, um, and I believe it was out of the free press who reported it, that the company who flew Whitmer to Florida was not even authorized to operate char- operate charter flights. So again, just one of those things where it starts as something where you're like, oh, this seems weird. And then just more and more keep piling on. You're like, oh, yeah, that's okay. That <laughs> happened. So thinking kind of broadly about all of the blenders, the ones that we've talked about, but also the ones that are going to be on your list and probably even more that didn't make the list. I mean, there are elections going on next year, particularly for Governor Gretchen Whitmer and different uh, lawmakers. Do you think that these are going to have an impact on the election? Or do you think these are going to be things that people will largely have forgotten about? Well, that's always an interesting question. I mean, how long is the memory of a voter? I suppose really does depend on how plugged in they are. Um, and I'm going to be frank with the amount of stuff that's happened this year. Some of the blunders that I did include on my list, I was physically there at some of them. And I have forgotten. <laughs> that. um, that's always a tough pill to swallow when you realize that people are like, hey, are you going to put this on your list? It's like, oh my God, I was sitting like 15 feet from that and I totally forgot. That okay. Yeah, I'm definitely going to put it on the list. But I mean, to that point, will a voter care? Uh, potentially. But also, I mean, there's still a lot of road left until the uh, primary, the general of next year. I mean, because of the fact that there is a lot of time, uh, good things could happen that could make people just totally forget about some of these things. Uh, worse things could happen that suddenly then become the focus of, uh, of 2022. So, I mean, I would really say that the, the whole blunder thing is really, I, I wanted to view it as like a cathartic cap on the end of the year, <laughs> We're gonna jump into 2022 and whatever blunders happen then, I suppose is what's going to really impact the, uh, the general and the primaries. Yeah. I think you guys hit on something that I think is really interesting and important contextually to talk about, which is Blunders are things that happen all the time, um, and and their impact. I think um, usually, to me, the only time voters really remember these things are when opponents put them on campaign ads. I mean, that is the kind of blunder that uh, starts getting traction again later on. Um, you know, and and who knows if if any of these are going to be the big blunders. The ones that I, I've thought about personally are. You know, if James Craig turns out to be uh, I mean, during during his uh, gubernatorial race, no matter what happens, I'm sure, um, you know, him talking about infrastructure and saying that infrastructure is not one of my priorities. Those kinds of things are the kinds of things that I think 
will come back to haunt candidates, but there are much bigger uh, sort of political science trends at play usually, right? That we're talking about how the party in power does during the midterms, almost, you know, no matter what the individual and detailed circumstances are, uh, that is a force that, you know, these sort of like day-to-day things aren't going to change. Um, you know, how the economy is doing, how, you know, if people feel like the, you know, the state and the country is heading in the right direction. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, though, uh, what kinds of specific incidents opponents are going to want to remind uh, people about over and over and over again uh, leading up to next August and next November. If nothing else, it seems like both sides have some fodder for uh, campaign ads. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jordan Hermony, State House reporter for Gongwer, Michigan. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and for putting this list together. Amazing list. Great way to end off the year. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's all for Mishmash. I'm Shayna Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.